everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Well, the wind's blowing today in the desert, and I don't know if you're going to be able to hear it kind of whistling around my windows a little bit in the background, but if you do hear a strange sound, that might be what it is. And it seems kind of appropriate to me to have that little bit of wildness, a little bit of something uncontrollable coming into the room, because today I want to tell you the second part of Iron John, the fairy tale that I started in the last program, collected by the Grimm's brothers. And as I mentioned in part one, the story was made kind of famous in the 1990s when Robert Bly wrote a book for men about the story and what it suggests about the path that men face in becoming full, authentic human beings. The challenges that are posed by the dominant culture in this regard are a matter of concern to all of us. And at this time here in the United States and other parts of the world, there is a lively conversation going on about sexism and oppression, about gender, and about the plentiful, serious problems with patriarchy. The response here to the last election is really invigorating, I think, our cultural collective interest in all of those issues, and I'm heartened by the fact that it contains a recognition that we're all in this together, that the sickness in the soul of our communities is something that we need to understand and heal together. What is this sickness? There are a lot of ways to answer this question, and a few moments ago I used the word patriarchy, which I think is appropriate, but when we talk about patriarchy, then we tend to get kind of catapulted immediately into thoughts about the tensions between men and women, men versus women. And I'd like to shift the framework to something that is related but larger, and that is the historical battle in Western culture between reason the linear, the mind, thinking, Descartes, I think, therefore I am, and the intuitive, instinctual, feeling, soul capacities inherent in each of us as a human being. Repressed capacities and forms of knowing, other forms of knowing. We've been dominated for so long by fantasies of rationality and objectivity and materialism, and these have been genderized, so they are another way of talking about the tension between men and women, masculine and feminine. But I'm thinking about it right now the way that C.G. Jung talked about it. He called Western culture with its obsession with rationality and objectivity, one-sided. He said this was a one-sided consciousness, and he was noticing this in individuals, and he was noticing this in our societies. And when you're in this state of one-sidedness, 
something rises up, unbidden, from the unconscious, from the psyche, from the larger psychic field. Something rises up, so to speak, to make itself known, to try to provide some sort of compensation or correction or harmony. And this upsets what's been established and generally appears, at least at first, as some sort of a threat. Now, I want to leave the theoretical conversation here and go back to the story. And let's let the story work on us (laughs) in our own state of one-sidedness. You might recall in part one that there's a wild man with long, long hair who is discovered at the bottom of a pool of water out in the dark woods. Once he's discovered, the king has this man put in a cage, and there he was in the palace courtyard, kind of a dangerous oddity, until a valuable golden ball, which was the property of the young prince, rolls into the cage. The prince, the boy, wants his ball back and eventually steals the key to the cage from underneath his mother, the queen's pillow, and frees the wild man, who is called Iron John, in exchange for the return of his ball. But as soon as he does this, the boy realizes that his act is going to be discovered because the cage is going to be empty while John, I mean, Iron John is going to leave. And he doesn't want to be punished, so the boy goes off with the wild man into the woods. There, Iron John gives the young prince the task of guarding his magical spring, a spring that turns things to gold. But the prince fails this test, so he's sent off into the world alone. Alone, but with the promise that Iron John will come to his aid if he needs help. And he has a head now of bright, shining gold hair because of his contact with the spring. So that's where we're going to pick it up. And as always, I invite you to relax and just listen to the story. Don't try and figure things out while I'm telling it. And I want to suggest, again, that you let the images evoked by the story take shape in your mind's eye. What we see and how we feel in the presence of the images that come to us is a response deeper than the words that we find to describe it. And it is a way that the story, like a dream, can work on us. Part 2 of Iron John The prince left the woods, and he walked by beaten and unbeaten paths on and on until he reached a great city. And when he got to the city, he looked for work, but he wasn't able to find any, because he had not learned a trade. He had no way to make a living. So finally he went to the castle and asked them if they would take him in. The people at the court didn't know how they were going to make use of him, but they took a liking to him and invited him to stay. And finally, the cook took him into his service, 
and gave him the job of carrying wood and water and raking up the ashes. One day, there was nobody else at hand to help in the dining room, and so the cook ordered the boy to carry food to the royal table. Because he didn't want anyone to see his golden hair, the boy kept his cap on. And this was an affront to the king, who had never seen such a thing before. When you approach the royal table, he said to the boy, you must take your hat off. Oh, sir, he answered, I'm I'm sorry, I cannot, because I have an ugly sore on my head. The king summoned the cook and scolded him and asked him how he could take such a boy into his service, and the cook had to send him away at once. But the cook had pity on him and let him trade places with the gardener's boy. Now the boy had to plant and water the garden, hoe and dig, and put up with the wind and the bad weather. Time went by, and there came a day in summer when he was working alone in the garden. The day was so hot that he took his hat off so that the air would cool him down, and the sun shone on his hair and made it glisten and sparkle. The rays fell into the princess's bedroom, and she saw them dancing on the windows and the walls and jumped up to see what was causing this. She looked down into the garden, and she saw the boy. You there, boy, she called out. Bring me a bouquet of flowers. Well, he quickly put on his cap, picked some wild flowers, and tied them together in a bouquet. The gardener met him as he was climbing up the stairs to the room of the princess and said, how can you take the princess a bouquet of these common flowers? Quick, go back down and get some of the other ones. Get some of the beautiful rare ones that we're cultivating in the garden. No, no, replied the boy. These these wild flowers have a stronger scent and She will like them better. When he got to her room, the princess said, Hey, take your cap off. It's not polite to keep that on in my presence. And again he responded, I cannot do that. I'm sorry, but I have a sore on my head. The princess, though, had seen his hair when he was down in the garden, and she took hold of his cap and pulled it off. And his golden hair rolled down onto his shoulders. It was a magnificent sight. And he wanted to run away and hide himself, but she held him by the arm and then gave him a handful of gold coins. The boy put the coins in his pocket and rested his arm away and left. But he didn't care anything about the gold coin, so he took those to the gardener and said, Here, I'm I'm giving these things to your children for them to play with. The next day, the princess looked out of her window and called down to him again, asking him to bring her a bouquet of wildflowers. 
When he went into her room with it, she immediately grabbed at his cap and wanted to take it away from him, but this time he held onto it firmly with both hands. Again, she gave him a handful of gold coins, and again he gave them to the gardener for his children to play with. On the third day, it was no different. She called for the flowers, and she tried to take the cat, but she wasn't able to do that. She gave him gold, and he did not want it. Not long after this, the country was overrun by war, and the king gathered together his people to discuss whether or not they should fight back against the enemy, who was more powerful and had a much larger army. The gardener's boy was in the crowd, and he said, I'm grown up, and I want to go to war too. Just give me a horse. All of the other men in the room laughed and said, Okay, after we've left, you can go and look for one by yourself. We'll leave one for you in the stable. And after they all left for battle, he went into the stable and led out the horse. It had a lame foot, and it limped along, higgledy-hop, higgledy-hop. No matter. He got on the horse and rode away into the dark woods. And when he came to the edge of the trees, he called, Iron John! Iron John! Iron John! Three times, loudly, so that it sounded through the trees. The wild man appeared immediately and said, Well, what do you need? I need a strong steed, said the boy, for I am going to war. That you shall have, said the wild man, and even more than you are asking for. Then the wild man went back into the woods, and before long a stable boy came out of the woods leading a horse. It was a powerful animal, snorting with its nostrils, and it could hardly be restrained. And behind the stable boy and the horse followed a large army of warriors, outfitted with iron armor, with their swords flashing in the sun. The boy left his three-legged horse, mounted the war horse, and rode at the head of the army. When he got to the battlefield, he saw that a large number of the king's men had already fallen. The enemy was very strong, and before long, all of the others would have to retreat. The youth galloped up with his iron army, and attacked the enemies like a storm, beating down everyone who opposed him. The enemy troops tried to flee, but the youth was right behind them and didn't stop until there was not a single man left standing. However, instead of returning to the king to claim credit for this victory, He led his army on a roundabout way back into the woods and then called again for Iron John. What do you need? asked the wild man. Take back your steed and your army and give me my three-legged horse again. This happened just as he requested and he rode home on his three-legged horse. When the king 
got back from the battle, his daughter went out to meet him and congratulated him for his victory. Oh, I'm not the one who earned the victory, he said. A strange knight came to my aid with his army. Someone that I don't know. The daughter wanted to hear about this strange knight, but the king said, that's all I know. I... (laughs) He pursued the enemy, and I didn't see him again. She asked the gardener then where his boy was. But the gardener laughed and said, Oh, he's just come home on his three-legged horse. The others have been making fun of him and teasing him. Here comes your higgledy-hop back again. They also asked him what hedge he'd been hiding under or maybe taking a nap under all the time that they were out fighting. But the boy claims that he's did better than anyone else. And then they all laughed a little bit more. (laughs) The king said to his daughter, I'm going to proclaim a great festival. I'm going to proclaim a great festival, three-day festival. And every day you will throw out a golden apple. And maybe this unknown knight will attend. When the festival was announced, the youth went out into the woods and called Iron John. What do you need? said the wild man. I need to catch the princess's golden apple, said the youth. Well, that's as good as done, said Iron John. And further, you shall have a suit of red armor and ride on a spirited chestnut horse. When the day came, the youth galloped up took his place among the knights, and was recognized by no one. The princess came forward and threw a golden apple to the knights, and he was the one who caught it. As soon as he had it, he galloped away. On the second day of the festival, Iron John had him outfitted as a white knight and gave him a white horse. Again, he was the one who caught the apple, And without lingering even an instant, he galloped away with it. Now this made the king angry. This is not allowed, said the king. He's not supposed to take it and gallop away. He must appear before me and tell me his name. The king gave the order that if the knight who caught the apple was to go away again, the men should pursue him. And if he didn't come back willingly, they were to strike at him and stab at him. Well, on the third day, the youth received a suit of black armor and a black horse from Iron John. And he caught the golden apple again. But when he was galloping away with it, the king's men went after him. And one of them got so close that he wounded the youth's leg with the point of his sword. Now, in spite of the wound, he escaped them, but his horse jumped up so violently that his helmet fell off of his head, and they could see that he had golden hair. The men rode back to the palace, and they reported all of this to the king. The next day, the princess asked the gardener about his helper. Why, he's at work in the garden. 
That strange fellow has been at the festival, too. He came home only yesterday evening, and furthermore, he showed my children three golden apples that he had won. (laughs) When the king heard this, he had him summoned, and he appeared before the king, again with his cap on his head. But the princess went up to him and took it off, and his golden hair fell down to his shoulders, and he was so handsome that everyone was amazed. Are you the knight who came to the festival every day, each time in a different colored suit of armor, and who caught the three golden apples? asked the king. Yes, he said, and here are the apples. He took them out of his pocket and gave them back to the king. If you need more proof, you can see the wound that your men gave me when they were chasing me. But I am also the knight who helped you to win victory over your enemies. Well, if you can perform deeds like these, then you are not a gardener's boy, said the king. Tell me, who is your father? My father is a powerful king, and I have as much gold as I might need. I can see, said the king, that I owe you my thanks. Can I do anything for you? Yes, said the youth. You can. Give me your daughter for my wife. The maiden laughed at this and said, He doesn't care very much for ceremony, but I had already seen from his golden hair that he was not a gardener's boy, and she went and kissed him. The youth's father and mother came to the wedding, and they were filled with joy, for they had given up all hope of ever seeing their dear son again. All the people were gathered around, and while they were sitting at the wedding feast, the doors opened. The music suddenly stopped, and everyone turned to look as a proud king came in with a great retinue. He walked up to the youth, embraced him, and said, I am Iron John. I had been transformed into a wild man by a magic spell. But you have broken the spell. Now all the treasures that I possess shall belong to you. The end. Now, this story is so full of rich themes. I'm only going to take up a few things that strike me. Beginning with the question of why the young man, who knows that he's a prince... Why he doesn't reveal himself? Why is it that he runs away? Why why does he go back to the woods after the victory? And then when he's catching those apples, why does he gallop off with them? Rather than do what he knows everyone expects, which is go and see the king. Well, we notice that every day that he goes to the festival, three days, <laughs> That magic fairy tale number for deep process. He is given a different color suit of armor and a different color horse. Red, white, black. Now those are colors that reference the alchemical process. The process of of transforming what is base in something into its finest expression. Turning lead into gold. 
Those colors also bring to mind the story of Vasilisa and Baba Yaga. If you recall that story, when Vasilisa is on her way to the Baba Yaga, she sees three horsemen on three different colored horses, red, white, and black. And the Baba Yaga later on tells her that those represent dawn, day, and night. The completion of a cycle. The completion of a cycle, and we see that it includes everyone, all of them. They're all waiting. They're all waiting it out in various ways, participating. So this part of the story tells us that there is a natural process and cycle to this. Now at the very end, everyone is united. His parents, the people and the in the new kingdom that he will presumably inherit. And then Iron John comes. Everybody is united. There's a harmony. A harmony between the older and the younger, the masculine and the feminine, the world of the garden and of the court, and of the civilized and the wild. If you think of this as being a story that reflects the inner dynamics and uh, people, if you will, of the psyche on a personal and collective level, then you see it's like everybody's come together. There's a place for everybody and everything. This is one image of, of wholeness or integration. But there's one thing about this that has bothered me that I've spent a little bit of time thinking about. It's the very end of the story when Iron John says that he was transformed into a wild man by a magic spell, but you have broken the spell. All the treasures that I possess shall belong to you. Now, when I thought about this, I realized that what was bugging me was the notion that maybe he was tamed or the suggestion that his wildness was a misfortune. But the meaning of wild is something that changes. It's a cultural idea. And in the times that this story was first being told, it was to be feared there was much more of it than there is now. The dark woods covering Europe, for example, where this story was collected, are essentially all gone. In any event now, for many of us, when we think of wildness as wilderness, we think of a place of refuge, a place to escape from the pressures of civilization. But wilderness and wildness aren't exactly the same thing. And the phrase out of bounds came to my mind. Wild as being that which is out of bounds, beyond civilization, belonging to itself. And this took me back to the beginning of the story and where Iron John was found. He was found under the water where he was trying to attract attention, grabbing dogs. <laughs> and then he was in a cage treated as a dangerous curiosity. And yet this wild man, the wildness, possesses power and riches beyond our imagination.
His spring, his magical waters, transform the ordinary into gold. That symbolic highest expression of the essence of a thing. And now he is a king, an equal and an ally. What is your wild man? What can connect you with a greater share of your inner riches so that you too can say, as this young boy turned man, I have as much gold as I need. I want to close with the poem by E.G. Wise. Down, down, deep into the well that is my own true source. Deeper and deeper, emerging on the other side, a woman alive with her hands full of gold. That's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. And if you're finding something of value here in these programs, please join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the programs that are archived there, free downloads of everything new that I create, and you play a really important role in helping me make future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. Mm-hmm.